Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. So is history a straight line? Do we move from one place in history directly to another place? Is that the path of religion, that it never undergoes changes? That from the moment God offered the Jewish people Torah at Sinai, nothing has ever changed in the history of the Jewish people? Well, I think not. We know that from Sinai, the Jews wandered the desert for 40 years and learned to build a tabernacle there. We know that after the death of uh, Moses and Joshua, the Jews evolved a form of leadership known as the judges, certainly a significant change from the leadership of Moses or Abraham and that the Jews evolved um, a form of leadership known as the priesthood. And we shouldn't forget the prophets. Priesthood, a significant, significant leadership in which Jewish religious life was focused around the temple. And then, lo and behold, the temple is destroyed, and a new form of Jewish leadership evolves, known as the rabbis. And in fact, a new approach to Yahweh emerges, where the Torah and the prophets had one understanding of how Yahweh was to be worshipped through temple sacrificial cult. The rabbis instituted, after the destruction of the temple, that which we call prayer, And the rabbis formalized the notion of mitzvot, the commandments of God that would um, instruct Jews how to live their lives, how every part of their life could be lived in relationship to God's existence. And one would have thought that history should have stopped then, that religious history should have stopped then, but lo and behold, Religious history did not stop then for the Jews. In 1492, the Jews were expelled from Spain, the Jews were expelled from Portugal, and those expulsions led to a renewed, intensified sense of messianism which led, of course, to the uh, false messiah known as Shabbatai Tzvi, in which almost a third of the Jewish community of um, East Asia and the Middle East believed that Shabbatai Tzvi was the messiah promised in the Torah. Of course, he turned out to be a false messiah when he converted to Islam in order to save his life. But though that messianic attempt failed, it led to the expansion of Jewish mysticism. And Jewish mysticism, under the auspices and leadership of Isaac Laurier, challenged the rabbis and challenged their hegemony over religious practices. 
that duality between Jewish mysticism and a strictly legalistic approach to Jewish tradition has continued throughout today. But that's not enough. In the mid um, 16th and 17th century, massive pogroms took place in uh, Russia. Hundreds of thousands of Jews were massacred in the Chemelitsky pogrom in 1648. That leads to a new form of Jewish religious life, which today we call Hasidism. Hasidism emerges as an alternative reproach to rabbinic legalism, in which, in the face of ongoing persecution, the legalistic, elitist legalism of Judaism is confronted with the everyday person's desire to find a path to God. Onward and upward, we have schisms and variations of what it meant to be Jewish. And the schism that arose between early Hasidism and its opponents, which were known as the Mitnagdim, during the entirety of the 18th century and the early 19th century, preoccupied Jewish leadership in Eastern Europe for well over 30 years. It was a battle over the future nature of Judaism. With the Mitnagdim, those who believed that the status quo was important to maintain, against the threat of change by Hasidism. Now today, that seems like an oxymoron, inasmuch as Hasidism, those Jews who we may see walking our streets wearing long black coats, long beards, are perceived to be the traditionalists, but originally they were the challengers, they were the reformers. But those two groups, both the Mitnagdim and the Hasidim, did not know that there was yet to be another cultural revolution, which was to take hold in their midst, originating in Western Europe and moving eastward. This revolution made the former sectarian war between Hasidim and Mitnagdim a status quo, and a threatening alternative religious perspective pale in comparison. The new movement that would challenge the status quo was known as Haskalah, the Jewish Enlightenment, and was the Jewish answer to European Enlightenment. It started in Germany in the late 18th century with the goal of modernizing society to be more secular and open. Because of the ties between the Jewish communities through trade and immigrations, there was a strong exchange of ideas and scholarship, so that the movement soon moved eastward, arriving in the shtetls of Eastern Europe around the early 19th century. The Haskalah was wholly different from any other cultural revolution Judaism had understood and experienced. Whereas the Hasidim altered ideology and customs, 
they still maintained a semblance of traditional rabbinic Judaism. The Maskilim, as the proponents of Haskalah were known, overthrew the yoke of traditional Judaism, ushering in an era of modernization, secularization, and assimilation that would change the landscape of the Jewish world entirely. What I want to look at today with you is how this uh, enlightenment in Europe and the enlightenment of the Jewish community has impacted on what you see around you in the Jewish community of your home city. To understand the Jewish revolution or enlightenment that took shape for most of the part during the 20th century, it's important to understand the modernization of Western Europe that gave rise to this evolution or revolution in the Jewish community. Two major movements shifted the European society. The first was the Reformation, started in the year 1517 by Martin Luther, when he disseminated his 95 theses throughout Germany. His work specifically criticized the Catholic Church, the dominant force in Western Europe, and criticized it for its corruption and clerical abuses that included, but were not limited to acts of nepotism, simony, usury, and the sale of indulgences. These accusations left Christendom reeling from a schism that grew to rival Catholic leadership. Luther's intent was to reform the church itself, working within the construct of the faith, However, once he was excommunicated in 1521, the new denomination known as Protestantism was formed to cleanse the church of its moral shortcomings. With the creation of this schism, other Christian sects soon arose altering the landscape of Western European Christendom. The Christian world was thrown into chaos with bloody wars breaking out across Europe. And these wars shaped much of the 17th century. With the close of the Thirty Year War in 1648, one of the longest and most destructive conflicts in European history, and one must remember it was initially a war between Protestant and Catholic states, in the fragmenting Holy Roman Empire and gradually developed into a more general conflict involving most of the great powers of Europe, and the failure of the Catholic Counter-Reformation to unify Europe, Europeans were forced to look beyond religion as a common unifier. With the rise of countrywide economies and the expansion of secular power, and geopolitical borders became more important to European structure than religious organizational structure. The nation-state became the primary unifier amongst disparate people living together within a wide swatch of land rather than religion. From there, new forms of government were introduced, including republics, that encouraged secularism over religion. Further, 
A new intellectual elite arose which was committed to rationalism rather than traditional religion. This new intellectual elite, which might at one time had been forced to enter into the church as a means of expressing their ideas and intellect, was now allowed to roam free. And so reason, analysis, and individualism were emphasized in the age of enlightenment that was to occupy Europe, beginning in the West and moving to the East from the 1650s through the late 18th century. The Haskalah, the German Jewish Age of Enlightenment, which take place between 77, 770, and 1880, coming from the word seichel, means reason or intellect, was the Jewish response to the Age of Enlightenment. Although the two movements share a lot in common, the Moskilim created a unique Jewish form of enlightenment whose roots were embedded in Jewish culture and tradition, as much as in reason and intellectual advancements. While European enlightenment was interested in evolving society towards new forms of government and identities, that would be national identities, the Haskalah, the Jewish enlightenment, was preoccupied with discovering how to change Judaism to work with the new European paradigm that the broader enlightenment had created. With the Haskalah only taking hold a century after the earlier broader enlightenment, those adherents of the Haskalah, the Moskilim, focused on how to assimilate the new ideas into Judaism while simultaneously adopting the Jewish community to this new society. The dual goal shaped the Haskalah, and with it the many movements that grew out of this parent revolution. From the beginning, the Haskalah encouraged Jews to open their society, and with it to study secular subjects traditionally banned by Jewish leadership Earlier in the Middle Ages, the Jewish community known as the Kahal only allowed heavily censored books to be published in the Jewish community. They barred and burned those of the Hasidim that did not conform to traditional Jewish expressions of devotion and Jewish law. The adherents of the Haskalah fought these bands and introduced science, culture, literature into Jewish society. Elements looked upon by many as contrary to everything Judaism held dear. For many centuries, Jews had become ever more isolated and insulated from their European Christian neighbors. Frightened by the anti-Jewish feeling, that marked interchanges between the two groups. The Moskilim attempted to break down these barriers through introduction of European languages to the Jewish community, languages which were traditionally not spoken or used among the Jewish population. With the introduction of foreign languages, the Moskilim were able to present the Jewish population and their Christian 
neighbors with an understanding of Judaism not previously allowed. The secular world for these adherents of the Enlightenment, followers of the Enlightenment, became something to aspire to rather than something to fear. In order to attain its goal, the movement advocated the removal of the Talmud from its central position in Jewish life and the destruction of traditional Jewish infrastructure, including the Jewish Council and the Rabbinic Council. It also encouraged a shift from traditional Jewish livelihoods, such as banking and trade, to the crafts and agriculture, including professions in the sciences, all of which had been banned by the church 1,500 years earlier, but which now in the new period of enlightenment in Western Europe were available to anybody, even those who were not Jews. Although there were Moskilim who still professed an adherence to the traditional Jewish faith, the majority were promoting a complete overhaul of Jewish structure, religion, culture, language, and most importantly, a new sense of how one identifies oneself as Jewish. I'm going to read to you now from a piece written by Moses Mendelssohn. Moses Mendelssohn, a German philosopher known as the father of the Jewish Enlightenment, died in the mid-18th century. Mendelssohn had a, an immense impact on German culture. Isaac Lesser wrote a play entitled Nathan the Wise, of which most people assumed that Mendelssohn was the uh, model for Nathan the Wise Jew. Mendelssohn's descendants all converted to Christianity, and of course, it's from his family that we get the great composer Mendelssohn. So here's what he wrote in the mid and late 18th century. His book is known as Jerusalem or On Religious Power in Judaism. The Israelites have a divine legislation. Laws, commandments, statutes, rules of life, instruction in the will of God, and lessons how to conduct themselves in order to attain both temporal and spiritual happiness. Those laws, commandments, etc. were revealed to them through Moses in a miraculous and supernatural manner. But, he notes, no dogma, no saving truth, no general self-evident proposition. Those God always revealed to us the same as the rest of mankind, by nature and by events, but never in spoken or written words of revelation. Let me read that to you again. The laws and commandments that allow us to attend temple and spiritual happiness as Jews were revealed to Moses, but dogmas and self-evident propositions are Revealed to all of humanity by nature and events. He goes on. Religious dogmas and propositions of the immutable truths of God. 
the supreme being revealed them to all rational beings by events and by ideas and inscribed them in their soul and a character legible and intelligible at all times and in all places. That's what Mendelssohn meant by universality. What he means by particularism is the following. Laws and judgments, commandments, rules of life, which were to be peculiar to a specific nation, the lawgiver was God himself, and he gave the laws a sanction. Then, which nothing could be more solemn, he gave them publicly in a marvelous manner. These laws were revealed, that is, they were made known by the Lord by words and writing. They lead inquiring reason to divine truths. Although Jewish nationalism is not yet born during the era of Mendelssohn, it is possible that you begin to see how even Jews began to see themselves as a nation and not just a uh, religion. Now, as the Jews confronted the European notion of enlightenment, and as the Jews tried to wrestle with what it meant to be part and parcel of this new world, something unique in the history of Judaism evolved. The Society for the Culture and Science of Jews was founded in 1819. It was founded by Jewish intellectuals. <clears throat> they write, in order to resolve the discrepancy between Judaism and European culture, what is needed is a complete reform of the peculiar education and self-definition thus far prevalent among the Jews. They will have to be brought to the same point of development reached by the rest of Europe. The society is an association of individuals who feel they have the ability and the calling to harmonize by way of educational work the Jews with the present age. Thus, gradually, every peculiarity or every particular nature which distinguishes the Jews from the rest of the population will be overcome. What did this mean? Did this mean that the Jews wanted to um, deny Judaism? Did it mean that they wanted Judaism to disappear? I think not. What they believed is that Judaism needed to be completely reformed, changing the peculiar education and self-definition of the Jewish people. They wanted to understand how they could harmonize archaic Judaism with modern Western Europe, with the express goal of removing all peculiarities of the Jews so that they could look like other Western Europeans. Here's a list of the kinds of things that they might have wanted to change. So they might have wanted to change religious concepts, especially the notion of chosenness. Here is the kinds of things that they thought had evolved through the Middle Ages, in which the Jews were isolated from the rest of Christian Europe and had developed 
a sense of self-preservation based on conceit, superstition, intolerance, neglect of decent manual labor in favor of ascetic idleness or overly literal observance of ceremonies, avarice, greed, contempt for science, the persistent delusion that is permissible to cheat non-Jews. They wanted to change the synagogue services in the form of prayers. They wanted to consider how obsolete and harmful senseless laws could be changed. They wanted to get rid of the power and the fanaticism of rabbis. They wanted to um, change Jewish schools into something more representative of a Western sense of education. They wanted to make Jews as best as possible indistinguishable from their Christian neighbors. They didn't want them to be Christians. They were okay with Jews retaining that which they thought was universal. But that which was particular, that they saw as an impediment for the Jewish people to integrate into Western Europe. Leopold Zunz, one of the great founders of the Society for the Study of Scientific Judaism, wrote, Precisely because Jews in our times are seizing upon German language and German learning with such earnestness and are thus perhaps unwillingly carrying the Neo-Hebraic literature to its grave, Stein steps in demanding an account of what has already been sealed away. Now, when no new significant development is likely to disturb our survey, when we have access to tools greater than those available to scholars in the 16th and 17th centuries, when a higher culture permits a more illumining treatment, when Hebrew books are more readily available than they will be likely be in 1919, now, so we think, the development of our science in a grand style is a duty, one whose weight increases because of the fact that the complex problem of the fate of the Jews may derive a solution, if only in part, from this science. So they produced a new form of Jewish scholarship common in today's Jewish studies departments in universities across the globe. They produced a number of scholarly publications culminating in the work known as the Jewish Encyclopedia, though because of their presentation of Judaism as a historic relic, as well as their apologetic overtones. Individuals influenced by the group often lost interest with Judaism as a religion and found it unnecessary to remain Jewish. Here is the dilemma that the modern Jew faces. If you deny the particularity of Judaism and accentuate the universal, what is left of Judaism? It is, of course, a major dilemma that modern Jews face consistently. It is, of course, the preeminent com conversation in the new world, in our world, if Jews are so un-Jewish, then what is the value of remaining Jewish? 
It all begins in understanding that Judaism has ups and downs and historical progression never goes in a straight line. For Jewish faith and Jewish facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, wishing you shalom and a good day. You can hear this broadcast as a podcast on CHRI website or from iTunes podcast. Shalom. Shalom.